Hello there, and welcome to the London Health Podcast from the Healthy London Partnership. My name is James Thornton. I'm Senior Communications Manager at HLP. Today, we're going to be talking again about homeless health. Now, the last time we spoke about this, homeless health in London was January, I think, and we were talking about the challenges with hospital discharge to the street or otherwise, and how we meet that already complex challenge. Now, clearly, since then, we've had some even bigger challenges again in terms of COVID-19, coronavirus, and what the health response in London has been to that. So I'm joined again by Gemma Gilbert, who's the Director for Prevention at Healthy London Partnership, and was also asked by the NHS to lead the health response during uh, COVID-19 and ongoing and moving uh, situation, of course, and has set up, amongst other things, the Homeless Health Operations Centre at HLP. Uh, welcome, Gemma. Hi, James. Hello. Yeah, good to have you here. Um, Gemma, I think it's been reasonably well documented about some of the stuff that's happened in London, but not everyone will have been across this. And I think, you know, nationally and worldwide, people would be very keen to hear. So perhaps you could start, if you could give us, I know it's a really uh, massive, massive project that's been underway, but do you think you could give us a kind of overview of where we've gone from everyone realising quite how serious things were to getting people into hotels and hostels and the rest of it. So from there to there, if that's not too big an ask. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm happy to do that. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think we were all talking about coronavirus and COVID um, throughout March. Um, and I remember attending a conference um, of the Pathway Homeless Team um, on the 11th of March and hearing a presentation in which um, they'd added an extra slot of a present presentation about how to manage um, coronavirus in this population. Um, and they were thinking about all the ways that you support people with self-isolation. And it was the following week, the week of the 16th of March, that many of us were starting to think about um, finishing up at work. We were practicing work from home solutions um, mm. in readiness for the workplace to close down at the end of that week um, and for people to start going into sort of domestic lockdown. Um, well, while all that was happening, people were talking about um, how do we support the homeless population with lockdown if they're out on the streets um, their ability to do things like hand washing I think we were all avid hand washers at that point and um, their ability to um, have sort of social practices that support their ability to um, reduce um, the potential of contracting COVID um, were not there and um, they were still very much rough sleeping day-to-day um, -day street interactions um, that meant that they weren't safe and so Working with the GLA and um, MHCLG and others um, in London. So by the end of the week of the 16th, um, we started to um, look at hotels as solutions and the GLA began to um, purchase and contract hotels around London with the first hotel going up that then that weekend. Um, well, Gemma, sorry to, uh, to cut mm -hmm. in, but just so we can get all the acronyms done and out the way. So GLA, yeah. the Greater London Authority, ah. and MHCLG, that's the, the ministry as well. as Yeah, for housing, local government mm. yeah, and, sorry, community, and communities. <laughs> oh, that's, that's no problem. I'll try and remind myself not to use acronyms. So yeah, so, so, so as we were going into lockdown domestically, um, we were helping to find people a place of um, self-isolation and safety. And one of the reasons the hotels were so important was that 
A lot of our sleepers were using night shelters. Um, night shelters are, tend to be sort of open room spaces with um, beds next to beds and um, are, would have been a huge risk for um, the spread of COVID. Um, and it was really important um, instantly to look at where are people in multi-occupancy um, accommodation settings where perhaps they're sharing um, facilities and think about whether we could kind of reduce the numbers of those and bring people in um, by putting them in single room, single bathroom settings like hotels. We were fortunate that a number of hotels in London were willing to support this effort and this population. And um, within the following weeks, we saw the announcement um, publicly through um, the government announcements around bring everybody in and provide that support and safety for them. Um, so, yeah, so that was a sort of startling um, curve in terms of um, you know moving quite things moving quite quickly the situation moving quite quickly and um, from some government down um, through to sort of local hotels thinking about how do we best support this population to stay in self-isolation. And they um, to bring everyone in Gemma put it right the, at that point what we're saying in practical terms was the the closure of those kind of traditional night night shelters and hostels it was yeah and they still remain a risk so they're going to stay closed um you know they they provide a lifeline for people to some extent um but they're not necessarily a route out of homelessness um mm. they're not really um a stepping stone to mm. um resolving the issues um, that somebody mm. has um they, they're still very much in some ways support mm. people to stay on the streets but are there as a um a charitable kind of you know sort of pillar but i think mm. that in the case of covid um they they are they are a risk actually so so those are staying closed um for for the period of this this emergency and um i think what i'd like to do is uh, there's been a huge amount of partnership work involved with this um, third sector local government etc as well as the the nhs but um if you could talk a bit about kind of some of the healthcare processes that uh, that I know that you led and your team, so in terms of mm -hmm. getting people from 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 the street into the right kind of accommodation, that would be that would be great. Yeah, so from that um, early stage um, of bringing people in. Um, people have a lot of health needs um, and those become more visible when you bring people into a hotel mm -hmm. and they're in contact with services. So every hotel was supported by um, a frontline support team and those frontline support workers came from some of our amazing third sector providers in London, Mungo's, Crisis, Thames Reach and so on um, became sort of the first point of contact for people going into hotels mm -hmm. and um, as a health system we had to ensure that um, as people went into hotels their health needs were triaged so people were moving from different areas to where hotels were available um, so for example you might have had a rough sleeper in Westminster going to a hotel in Wandsworth and we needed to make sure that if they had other needs, um, needs in relation to um, substitute therapies for drug and alcohol, you know, needs in relation to ongoing medication, perhaps for a mental health problem, um, that those things were spotted early. And so in that settling in period, um, they were able to um, be triaged and connected with a um, primary care registration, get access mm -hmm. to a GP, get access therefore to the wider health system and make sure that for the period they're in the hotels, their health needs were all being um, taken care of and the, the other key role of the health system was to do um, testing 
and we have an amazing service in London called um, Find and Treat, which is run by um, the University College London Hospitals. And that team traditionally would be going out anyway um, onto the streets to do outreach work with rough sleepers um, to do um, find and treat care um, for people who aren't in a home. Um, and their, their sort of service really kind of shifted um, quite quickly um, to, to also testing um, and they did outreach into hostels, they did outreach on the street, they did outreach in many venues to try and ensure that we were identifying people who were symptomatic. So the health model and the public health model for London was very much to test people to triage them in between sort of the COVID symptomatic and positive and the co and the people who um, were, were fine into cohorting them then into the hotels. What we needed to ensure was that the hotel spaces were very um, much for people who needed protection. So people who were um, living with a high level of vulnerability um, to COVID. Um, so people with long term conditions and so on and um, so traditionally this was shield people you think about in terms of shielding um, and we also needed to make sure um, that we were separating out people who were COVID positive um, and we had a specific hotel for COVID positive um, um, rough sleepers and that was um, set up in the east of London near to city airport um, and by separating out people who were COVID positive it meant that we were able to really contain the spread of COVID for this population um, by managing them on a different site and that's something you sort of you sort of see now in lots of health services across the board that there's um, a sort of an ongoing policy now around separation, separating out even with acute set within acute settings, separating out and demarcating different parts of hospitals for for people who are um, COVID and people who are non-COVID. It's, uh, it's fantastic. It's really impressive. And I know you, you mentioned some of the the partners there. The, the list is feels like it's almost endless. I know this pathway have played a huge amount to people like Groundswell as well as big organisations like Public Health England, the local authorities and Westminster particularly, I've seen a lot of work from them as well as all the other local authorities in London. Um, in, in very practical terms, this might seem a bit of a kind of lightweight question, but how did this actually work? I mean, I know there was, there was work already in place at HLP, for instance, again, supported by all those partners and the NHS, but what, what, what did it actually look like on that Tuesday or Wednesday morning? What, what, what was the what happened what was the first phone call <laughs> well we had we had a very small resource really for um, an hlp we had um um probably about one day of me or half a day of me um and a project manager um who were designing and developing a program of work for london um to deliver on homeless health so we'd seen a rise in the homeless population over the last 10 years significant rise and um, we had a london vision which um, looked at the need for more step down care um, and we had plans to try and put that in place for next winter. In reality through Covid we, we put that step down care in in week two um, <laughs> so things had to move much faster because you can't discharge people from a hospital onto the street. We had to have step down beds in place for people who were symptomatic. Um, so it's amazing how things move much faster but yeah it went from, from us so um, I think for the first weekend uh, we managed through a very kind of hectic weekend and and quickly realized that um, this the scale of this was going to require um, very careful planning and structuring and resources um, so HLP um, was going through its sort of business continuity and looking at which programs could in a sense um, or would have to necessarily um, sort of um, go down to sort of a very small business con level of business continuity um, 
in order that we could free up um, healthcare capacity to focus on other things and focus on coronavirus. So we redeployed a whole team of staff around eight people um, to and built an operations centre um, for delivering on the COVID response. And um, they've been amazing. So staff came from all different kinds of programmes, came together um, and formed um, the operational team that was going to enable us to, to deliver this. Um, and the other thing we had to do very quickly was identify the key partners, leaders in the system who were uh, the experts um, who were going to be able to shape um, the approach. Um, and we had to stand up very quickly a command and control structure um, with a daily rhythm of meetings um, in order that we could work in a very agile um, and seamless way, um, very high, high level of communication with the system um, to just you know, make decisions daily, take action, and ensure that this was delivering fast and um, at a pace that was necessary for the first surge. And I guess that um, there are very few silver linings to what's gone on, but I suppose uh, what I've seen from my world of work is it allows you to act a bit more dynamically. There's things that get done quicker um, in times like these than they would do ordinarily, mm. I guess. Yeah, I mean, the amount of transformation we've achieved, things that I thought we'd spend a year doing have been happening in weeks um, because they're necessary, they're immediate and they're necessary. All the questions about whether or not you're going to fund them fall away. Um, all the all the all the time limits on even just like your working day fall away. <laughs> so you deliver much harder, much faster. Um, the benefit of digital communication with each other, the daily sort of video conferencing, the the sort of the level of um, plan, deliver, test, adjust, come back around that circle um, has just been very, very rapid um, on a daily basis. And, and for myself personally, I've, I've been able to let go of um, kind of other bits of work that perhaps I would be doing at the moment to just focus on this. Um, so it's meant my ability to, um, to to sort of have that focus of leadership and um, and um, pushing and pulling of, of the system has been much, much more intense and focused. And that's been fantastic. That's great. And I mean, on a, on a personal level, I think, Jimmy, you've got some sort of background in kind of similar crisis management. Be interested to hear a bit about that. And then also for others, uh, around the country, elsewhere in the world that might be picking up and not have that background, what your pointers might be. So kind of a, a double-edged question there, if you like. So, but this isn't the uh, the first sort of bit of crisis work you've done, is it? No, it's not. Um, so I've been working in the health system for um, about 20 years now, and um, we've been through a number of crises in London um, in that time. Um, I sort of had a light involvement in the in the London Bridge work, but very light. Um, but the kind of the the area where I remember most um, most in this is is the bird flu pandemic and preparing for that, which thankfully didn't sort of see quite the levels of um, problems that we've seen with coronavirus. Um, but I was involved in sort of mobilising the local response as a local commissioner. Um, on that and having to sort of set up Tamiflu centres, for example, for distribution and think about infection control. Um, I was very lucky at that time that um, we had an amazing relationship between the local commissioning body um, for health and the local authority who had a great public health team who trained us all in emergency planning 
Um, and it's incredible sort of how, how fast I've been able to draw on and use that emergency planning training. So I'd highly recommend um, for all health leaders that they, they do think about emergency planning at the time. You might not think you're going to need it, but um, it certainly has come into play very heavily during coronavirus. So I guess top tips. Um, what tips have I got? So I really knew that um, I learned about something called a battle rhythm. So I really knew I needed a battle rhythm. Um, there's a lot of army talk in emergency planning. Um, and you can see that that kind of came through in the NHS as well with its command and control structure um, and its COBRA and its gold um, structures, which are probably nonsense talk to a lot of you, but but essentially um, are a very sort of fixed sort of structure in terms of how do you um, just keep keep control of the system. Um, so yeah, so I, I instigated a battle rhythm. My battle rhythm went, meant that every day I would be doing a forward look, um, looking at um, the incidence of coronavirus, the impact it was having, um, thinking about what we'd be delivering in a week's time, what the situation might be um, by the end of the week sort of thing, you know, and, and how we'd have to adapt our response. Um, so with a very forward look kind of planning group, um, I also had a sort of a daily wrap up, which was a, a sort of a daily call to check out all of the operational issues around things that were um, delivered, things that were stuck, any risks in terms of delivery um, and what we'd achieved during the day that needed to be dealt with the next day. Um, and then I had a sort of the partnership kind of main um, response cell, which was a, um, a, a sort of collective group of people from national, people from local, um, academics, people from clinical backgrounds, a very kind of whole partnership kind of um, group to try and ensure that everybody was up to speed with both the, what we need to live next week and what the operational issues are today so that we were harnessing our collective capacity capability and thinking around what was going to be coming next. Um, the other top tip is um, to, you know, daily sit reps are a really good way to um, keep everyone focused on what's being achieved. Um, and yeah, just um, I guess the other top tip is about your own resilience, really. Um, so certainly after four weeks of heavy running at it with no weekends or bank holidays and long, long days, um, you know, sort of you have to sort of keep yourself very um, together in an emergency like this in terms of your own resilience. So put a long, lot of focus on creating an environment within which people um, might be anxious and scared at first, but trying to create an environment within which people feel um, held, supported, pulling together as a team, wherever they've come from, um, and that they're taking care of their own well-being, um, and that people are doing shifts and, and sort of moving from less of a sort of um, planned um, for, for transformation work that, that we do in Healthy London Partnership, um, less of sort of individual subject matter roles, but actually trying to sort of double up people so that they could do more shift work so that they could keep going. Um, so yeah, those are a few tips. <laughs> Great. That's, uh, that's really helpful and really insightful. Um, it's, I'd like to go on to talk a bit about kind of the benefits. And again, I, we know this is not a perfect picture and there certainly wasn't a perfect environment. Um, but an awful lot happened. And as you say, you know, we were all kind of working seven days and you know, I'm thinking of the people out there delivering the care in the hotels. And I know our own team were doing everything from kind of creating guidance to kind of, again, working over the weekends to kind of triage inquiries. And, you know, there's a lot of goodwill, isn't there? There's a lot of energy and a lot of uh, deep breathing required in what's a complex and sometimes not conflicting, but certainly uh, tricky situations. Um, 
So talking about some of the benefits with all of those caveats in place, I mean, what, what have we seen? So, so we've got most people who are rough sleeping inside in London, we've mostly got them into the right environments, whether that's a specific floor of a hotel or a specific hotel or whatever else. But what what have we seen you know, as a result of some of the extreme hard work? So the benefits have been massive. Um, so if I start with the residents in the hotels, um, um, I think the main benefit has been for the first time, their levels of stability of their health have just been phenomenal. So for London as a whole, working with public health colleagues and local authorities, we created a single drug and alcohol contract and service to do in reach to the hotels. Um, and and what that meant was that people got substitute therapies, opioid therapies and things. So, so if you imagine that you've been sleeping rough and you've been begging for money and um, you've been seeing dealers and you've been, you know, sourcing your drugs that way and your mental health has been dire, suddenly the value of a bed, a bathroom, food, um, you know, your basic needs all being taken care of has had a huge overwhelming relaxing effect. So while a lot of us in lockdown have kind of been going, oh, this is this is just really hard work. We're finding this so awful. You know, for many of these residents, this is the first time in a long time, some 20 years for some, 30 years for some of them, that they have had some stability and they've had their needs met, their very basic human needs met. Um, and not only that, so that their well-being has improved, their mental health situation has improved, um, but also um, their addictions have also been um, improving. Um, not in all cases, but, you know, have been improving in terms of being stabilised, um, at least. And then, so, uh, yeah. to, to, to cut in on you, but again, you know, I'm blown away by just how it's been achieved. And again, we know it's not a perfect picture. Um, but are we, when we're saying in reach, what, what, what does that practically look like? Is this is this a GP or a nurse in a, in a hospital, like literally knocking on someone's bedroom door and assessing mental and physical health? Is, is that how it works or...? It's varied. Um, okay. So, um, so the support workers are on site all of the time. If, in a sense, the the hotel reception. So that's your Mungo's crisis tends to reach and others, and they know these clients um, to some extent. They already know um, a number of them really well. They're already involved in their services, um, and they are doing like daily symptom checking and um, trying to create the right environment within the hotels for people to feel mm -hmm. safe and part of a community. Um, so they've they've had those sort of daily relationships with people on the ground um, when doing a sort of settling and triage um, some hotels have had a lot of in reach so they've actually had nurses on site um, who've been assessing people for their needs um, in other cases the support workers have done that assessment and then got in touch with the GP and others to, to sort of find them help and um, there's been a lot of remote working so along with the rest of the health system at this time um, you know, primary care is now very digitally enabled and um, GPs are now very familiar with doing video conferencing with their patients. So um, one of the things we saw as important early on was to try and ensure that people had a mobile phone in their room so they'd be contactable. Um, and so quite a bit has happened through mobile phone links as well. But the support workers will watch people. They'll say, oh, this person seems to be struggling. Um, you know, in one case, um, a resident had a psychotic episode and the support workers um, 
you know, knew, knew who to get in touch with and were quickly able to find them um, the right kind of care um, very quickly. So so it's been a huge partnership effort all working together. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, and local authority hotels um, have also been, you know, absolutely um, central in that and local health systems working with their local authorities. Um, a lot of the work that we've done at a London level has supported with the GLA hotels, but then a lot of the services we've created have also been um, created so that they can be used across the board at a local level, um, um, as well as with the Greater London Authority purchased hotels. Great. And um, sorry, I, 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 sure. I, I waylaid you on the benefits there. We were talking about, uh, I think you were saying how very broadly we've got people into largely into the most sort of stable place they may have been for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's from that place that you can start to build a purpose. So as I said earlier, a night shelter is really not an environment to start to rethink your life when, you know, you're going to be out on the street tomorrow finding a drug dealer or whatever. You know, that's not um, or faced with all the uncertainty that being on the street and the danger and the fear that it brings. Um, whereas being in a hotel um, has given people that stability to start thinking about their future. Um, I think for a lot of people, there's still been a bit of a cloud as to well, what happens after this. You know, what's going to happen to me? Um, and um, for a number of weeks, people have been unsure about about what next. Um, but you know, it, it's clear that 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 value that they're experiencing of a hotel is is making them think about not wanting to be on the streets anymore and you know for a good proportion that's a huge shift um, perhaps some you know people think homelessness is because you haven't got a house but you can offer a house and a home to some people who are um, rough sleeping um, and it isn't a solution because and they don't they don't want to to have that responsibility or um, they don't feel able to cope in a home environment so but having been in a hotel um, some of that's shifted yeah. And so where um, perhaps people or, you know, perhaps where mongers have tried to bring somebody in before yeah. and it's never worked, they couldn't get them into a hostel or to stay. Actually, uh, it seems that these hotels, people who, who've been previously difficult to reach yeah. have come in um, and they're finding value in it. Yeah. Maybe that's because they're also very scared about coronavirus, just as you or I are, and they, they wanted to self-isolate. But um, certainly yeah. the benefits are now being felt. Brilliant. And... And very, um, you rightly point out that obviously this, it, it, everyone's needs are individual and different and just housing somebody or offering them accommodation won't solve it all. But uh, to contradict myself slightly in, in, in very simplistic health terms, some of the real benefits and opportunities I, you mentioned uh, to me previously about the kind of figures. And I know that they were kept low in London accommodation compared to comparable international cities is, is that right yeah that's right I mean we kind of started to know that the system was working for us in London um, and realized just what we'd achieved when we heard some of the statistics from other big world cities so this this outreach testing in hostel settings and training people which you know the HLP team have done a lot of webinar support and training for hostel frontline staff to, to manage infection control on site um, and then this kind of pulling symptomatic people into COVID care and um, that that surveillance of symptoms in each of the sites um, seems to have been extremely um, successful so we compared ourselves um, at the height of the, the, um, the first surge of this pandemic 
um, with places like San Francisco, Chicago, um, and looked at kind of the differences um, between our actions and theirs. Um, and what we saw was that um, having tested a number of hostels in London at the height of the pandemic in London, um, we were seeing um, sort of levels of, of COVID infections around sort of um, between sort of three and five percent. Um, so very sort of low compared with these other cities, which were closer to 50, 66 percent and so on. Wow. Um, we're still learning about the, why that difference. And it may be because um, perhaps those those cities didn't close down that multi-occupancy high risk for spread kind of accommodation. Um, you know, it may be um, that as we were entering spring and some other people were more out and about anyway, but um, and, and so social distancing was easier. But actually, I think a lot of it is down to um, the fact that we were very quick in testing. And you can look at multi-occupancy accommodation in other for other populations in London and see that actually without that, there's been huge um differences in the amount of amount of kind of um, spread of COVID. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so we're quite proud of that fact um, and feel that we've um, potentially internationally um, could be held up as best practice in terms of what we've achieved for this population. We're still cautious about that. Um, we're still kind of keen to see the figures um, on, you know, particularly on deaths and see how they compare internationally. Um, mm. But certainly early indications are that we have massively um, evaded um, a real what could have been a really dire consequence um, in hostile settings of major outbreaks for a very vulnerable population with high health needs um, and therefore we would have seen a lot of excess deaths so um, so yeah we're feeling very positive about that at the moment and and perhaps you know in this in this UK coronavirus effort it will be held up as one of the marks of um, what can be achieved in a you know in a society that has a strong public service. Absolutely, absolutely. And on the um, in terms of testing, I know there's various other things other than COVID, but um, what, what has happened with London's rough sleepers and COVID testing? Has it been selective or has everyone who's been, you know, uh, has it been testing available for all or what, what, what's the environment there? So we very early on um, set up a, a surveillance tracker of um, settings so people could report if they felt somebody was showing symptoms. Um, so as you know, the UK hasn't had um, a test all approach um, in the early stages of the pandemic, um, focusing testing on particularly on key workers um, in those early stages. Um, but for the homeless population, we had a surveillance tracker. So we, we knew quite quickly when hostels were seeing people developing symptoms, they could contact our find and treat team who would come out and do testing um, and to some extent do some sort of um, very sort of rudimentary, if you like, but tra but trace tr um, um, contact tracing as well, just trying to understand um, the person's situation in terms of who they might have been in contact with. Um, and so, yeah, that was in place for the homeless um, hostel population um, mm -hmm. pretty quickly on, on in this pandemic, um, mm -hmm. um, over and above sort of what we were seeing um, for key workers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been key. Um, mm -hmm. And in some cases, we didn't test the whole homeless population. So we were um, we were unable to do that in terms of resource at that point in time. But now we're seeing 
much wider testing um, as a policy strategy for the whole of the UK, um, we're able to now expand that team um, and do much more regular and proactive testing um, now that the things are in place for, for, for the UK to do that effectively. That's uh, fantastic. And um, in terms of other opportunities, if that's not too crass a, a phrase, um, there's a lot of testing going on within the hotels at the moment, isn't there? I think the kind of bloodborne viruses and that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? When you when you bring everyone in, um, the health system was sort of like, oh wow, we can we can uh, really do um, some of the health screening we've wanted to do for a population that's traditionally quite hard to reach um, or access or um, encourage to take up services. Um, so with that audience and all feeling a little bit better, um, we've been able to invite people um, if they want to get screening um, for other health conditions that we know um, are perhaps sort of um, slightly higher in this population. Um, so, yeah, we've been we've been looking at wider testing. We've been doing screening for um, hepatitis um, C, hepatitis B and for um, HIV. Um, also for um um, an STI as well so kind of uh, you know been able to do that and and we've been thinking about whether it's um, possible to also do TB screening which is a bit more intensive um, in, in terms of the, the process and what you actually do clinically but certainly it was an opportunity to close the gap um, so for London for example we are world leading on getting to zero HIV um, and there are just a few small, harder to reach populations um, where um, the, the levels are, are still slightly higher than for the sort of general population as a whole. Um, and so it was always part of our plan to try and get to zero in London. Um, and so having a population that we can go and do screening, um, provide peer support and advocacy, um, provide referrals into care and services um, if they were found to be um, to test positive, has been amazing um, and 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 I'm pleased to say that actually a lot of the people in the hotels are really happy to take up the offer the mm -hmm. chaos in their lives has reduced and they feel like you know um, mm -hmm. now's the time to to sort of um, check for for things and and um, and make sure that that niggling um, worry that's perhaps been in the back of their minds while they've been surviving on the streets is, is dealt with excellent stuff I know I should mention from uh, Jason at HLP and amongst others was very good at on a more day-to-day -day basis so sorting vapes for, uh, for Oh yeah the team have been amazing I mean they've sort of looked at it from all angles so yeah mm. so we've had a, a few few members of staff who've been focusing on screening and then yeah Jason's sort of taken a real prevention angle um, and started to think about um, as well as the drug and alcohol services that were being provided what about smoking? Because obviously, smoking in a hotel setting is <laughs> not um, not not going to happen. But but you know, um, for some people, it might be kind of really key to keeping them in self isolation. Um, so he's provided um, yeah um, e-cigarettes and other things. He got a donation. He went out and found um, charities that would be willing to um, support. Well, corporate char corporate um, charity that would be willing mm -hmm. to support people in hotels. And there've been a lot of examples of that. Um, you know the number of people who when you have have a need and an ask and you threw it out there came up with a solution wanted to help has been phenomenal um i've got my own example of just eat um we had a hotel where the sort of the the, the the hotel were willing for us to use the hotel but didn't have their catering team people were being moved in and there was no sort of food plan on night one um and we just couldn't leave these people 
in a hotel with no food. Obviously, they wouldn't self-isolate if there was no food available. Um, so um, we contacted Just Eat and Just Eat um, sent um, vouchers um, by mobile phone to people's phones. So they had the opportunity to choose what they ate um, and they sent enough vouchers to last um, the first couple of days. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. And I think sort of for, for somebody coming off the streets who's been rough sleeping, um, to have that that dignity of choice and the same level of you know access to food that you or I might be able to yeah. <laughs> achieve um, um, was it was quite overwhelming for some of them actually. Well, absolutely, it's it's uh, obviously goes without saying it's a massive part of it, the, the dignity issue and choice and uh, those kind of sort of fundamentals day to day life and sort of segueing along a little bit if you like into. Um, a, a needs assessment if, I, if I've got my phraseology right there and I just think about what we start to look about going forwards because there's been a lot of those assessments going on so that people can get attached to the right kind of primary care whether it's mental or physical health is can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah so I guess the really exciting thing now is that we're not planning to bring everyone in for Covid we're planning to bring them in for good um, and you know the the Ministry for Communities, Housing and Local Government (MHCLG) um, have really um, strode out there with this this policy around in for good. Um, so one of the things that we felt would be really important if um, we started to take the route out of the hotels and putting people into homes was that in order for that to be successful, they would need to have continuity of care and to have the right um, health and care needs support in place. So to do that, we needed to undertake a health needs assessment. Um, those are still live, actually, we're still doing them. Um, but really the health needs assessments gives a very rounded picture, um, you know, not just of your health needs, but essentially of what it will take to give somebody ongoing stability of um, care. That means that once out of a hotel, perhaps in a home or flat or perhaps in a more isolated environment than the hotel, they're still receiving that level of input and support that makes them feel that it's possible to get back up in life and back onto um, a good road. Um, and, and, you know, many of them have quite significant high health needs. You know, there's a huge caseload of undiagnosed learning difficulties, uh, mental health um, and others, with, you know, sort of addictions aside. Um, um, but I should also say there's a huge proportion of people who <clears throat> who potentially have fallen into homelessness more recently um, or even as a result of COVID who um, who will be struggling. Um, so they have support needs. Uh, we tend to describe them as low support needs. They, they will be struggling. They're probably struggling with depression and many other things. Um, but potentially employment is, is, is an important answer for them in terms of route out of homelessness. So, and is that linked know, with your work? I mean, again, again, it's good to give people that, that picture. I know we wouldn't, we're leading the health response here, but uh, but it is linked, isn't it? I mean, I know we, we talk with local authority partners and others, and there's a lot of planning going on around what can be done there with, with work and things. Yeah, I think it's becoming more important now. So, as we're thinking about move on and, and housing offer, um, you know, obviously, if people have employment, then um, there's an opportunity to to go into the private rented sector again or, you know, pick up um, perhaps where lives have, have, have left off. Um, 
So for, for a number, that's really important that they can start to um, see this as an opportunity, not just for a home, but also for employment, for getting well again, for dealing with addiction. So it's really about an a, a integrated, multidisciplinary approach to move on that's needed. Um, and yeah, we've been we've sort of we've, we've focused in this emergency phase on bringing people in and supporting and stabilizing them in the hotels as emergency temporary accommodation. But as we think about move on and life ahead of COVID, um, then employment becomes more important. And we've started to engage um, DWP and other colleagues to try and help us plan for that future. Brilliant stuff. I think that probably leads us along to talking about the future and uh, we should look at some of the thorny issues because it's going to take a great deal to change things permanently, if at all. Um, what do you think those challenges are and how might we uh, surmount them? Yeah, so I think one of the challenges is obviously there's a reason why we had a rising of sleeping population in the first place. It had gone up, I think, something like 136% in the last 10 years. In London. Um, in London, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that was sort of austerity and economics and, you know, have created that sort of shift. Um, and so... So challenges in the next phase, obviously the economic situation through COVID is even more dire. So people, if they're in precarious, vulnerable housing situations or precarious job situations, um, we're going to see a much bigger wave onto the streets. I think it's fair, I probably should have said there are still visible rough sleepers in London because we're seeing this new wave um, and because sometimes people just um, refuse to um, go into accommodation. Um, but you know, it's the numbers are sort of much smaller than we've seen previously. So they're down to, you know, around sort of 500 or so. Um, but we're likely to see um, a new wave of homelessness. And, and for them, I think kind of, you know, if you're newly homeless, as if, if people intervene early um, with, with jobs and housing, that can massively reduce the likelihood that that person will end up back on the streets. Um, so, so that's one challenge is just dealing with this sort of new wave that, that will be coming, I guess, over the summer and beyond as we see the economic impact of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. um, but the other challenge is, is about um, continuity. So it's not losing people um, from the hotel system when they move into housing. It's kind of like trying to hold on to them just just a little bit longer, um, you know, not in a way that kind of... Um, you know, it's paternal or takes away their independence and individuality, but in a way that just gives them the best chance at taking the steps forward that they want to take with the goals that they have in life. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a risk really in move on from hotels that, that people get lost. Um, so we need to work very collectively as a partnership to mm -hmm. ensure that that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the other big challenges is, is uh, you know, a phenomenal challenge for my, my local authority colleagues. Um, and housing officers in those local authorities to find suddenly source and find you know London's never tried to bring in um thousands and thousands of rough sleepers before well I imagine now trying to house in a very quick um moment of summer thousands and thousands of rough sleepers um mm. it's it's a phenomenal challenge um mm. and and some people will say that bring everyone in and everyone you know, it, can that really be achieved um I think it can actually. Um, I think it can. I think it can when people are prioritising it enough. I think when government is backing it enough with funding, and you know there are some very practical things 
where in Woodvale one would be if there isn't enough housing um, and what that means is local authorities are having to look um, both within London and beyond its borders <laughs> to look mm -hmm. for housing for people um, mm -hmm. and trying to make sure that that, that offer matches somebody's goals um, for where they want to be um, but yeah as a challenge I think I think the kind of housing gap is one but I, d I don't think the ambition of in for good is wrong I think it's right to set yourself the right ambition and you know I, I think that people deserve um, to have their basic needs met mm. and this goes not just for rough sleepers but across the board in our society people deserve the ability to access food the ability to have a roof over your head um, some of these things in a modern society like ours should be a basic human right um, and I think we're seeing a sort of a, a real sort of recalibration shift of that in COVID where people are recognising that some of the vulnerable populations have suffered the hardest um, through, throughout this emergency pandemic. So, yeah, so it's, so it's going to be challenging, but um, I'm very pleased with the boldness of um, government's response and um, and and just, you know, that needs to be backed by sufficient resource um to do this properly um but you know if we if we can achieve this for the majority of that population um it would be a phenomenal achievement and something we can all look back on um as a real positive um, that came out of an otherwise quite you know challenging um challenging period in our lives well Gemma, i think that feels like a perfect place to to pause on this latest episode in london's homeless health and um how we're all working hard to, to deal with that and again i think just as a personal sign off it's just amazing what's been achieved by all the partners and yourselves and the team so thank you very much for joining us and i will sign off just by saying please do like and subscribe to the podcast we've got a lot of great episodes now on a lot of different topics thank you this has been the london health podcast from the healthy london partnership <laughs>